Welcome to the Renaissance Church Podcast. Our mission is to glorify God and to make disciples by bringing the gospel into all of life in all the earth. This is Chris Kipp, lead pastor of Renaissance Church here in Richmond, Texas. And if you've not joined us in a worship gathering or at a house church yet, we would love to have you join us. You can find out more information at rin-church.org. And I pray that you are encouraged and edified by the proclamation of God's word today. We had a team go to serve in Nicaragua and it was amazing. And I'm so proud of our church, just the way that things are here and the love and the compassion and the grace and the spiritual sensitivity and the maturity with which things are, are done around here and the care for each other. We just transplanted that into the area surrounding Matagalpa and Nicaragua and we had an amazing time. We worked, we did some work. Like we didn't, we had one evening where we got to go stroll around a rainforest and other than that, it was uh, serving leaders, training leaders and um, spending time in the most humble of houses that you could ever imagine. We'll have a slideshow to put uh, together for you guys to see more of that. But I just want to say thank you. It was incredible. Um, and we have a lot of stories to tell, so feel free to ask us. Um, we'd love to tell you. But uh, this morning, I'm gonna, we're going to stick to the series, right? And so we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. So if you have your scripture and you want to turn there... Um, Man, Phil and Stephanie, thank you guys for being with us again today. It's a breath of fresh air when you guys come and, and lead us. Rich already. Um, Ephesians 4. So Chris said last week, um, when he's winding down chapter three, he said this is kind of a hinge, right? There's a, a, a transition that's happening. And so what's happened in these first three chapters is that Paul has just been ruthless with doctrine and teaching and the glorious riches of, of Jesus, right? So chapter one, chapter two, chapter three are just amazing instruction that we've been given. And now that hinge kind of opens up and it shifts us into a different, different gear, and it's pushing us into four, five, and six, which are three chapters of a lot of application, a lot of how we walk with what we've learned in these first three chapters. And I think that this is relevant for us because I think we sort of live in a, a dangerous time because of the amount of information that we have accessible to us at any given time. Like when we get interested in a topic, we can find whatever book we need, we can find whatever podcast, and then that leads us to another book and another podcast and another, and all of a sudden, we we like find ourselves in this black hole that we can become obsessed with learning and knowing and arguing that one of my fears is that all the time we have for doing gets squeezed into these black holes of diving into more information, more information, more information. And what I think that we have is enough information already to live a faithful life for God. Like we don't need to keep digging for all the information. We need to start walking out what we've already learned and what we've, what we've already understood. It's, and it's, the other thing that's dangerous for us is it's possible to know and believe every correct thing about God and Jesus and not even be a Christian. It doesn't matter what we believe. It matters what life we're choosing to live. It matters if we're 
serious enough about this that we're going to live in it, walk in it by faith. And so we have all of this information that's shown us exactly who Jesus is and why he's better than everything else. And now we're going to enter into a season where it's like, okay, what do we do with these things that we've learned? What are our callings into the, the daily grind of what we've been learning in Ephesians? And I want to borrow from James um, chapter one, because I think he says it really well for us and kind of invites us into this understanding. And he says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Like that's a tricky little couple words at the end, right? Deceiving yourself. If you're only hearing it and you're only trying to become a subject matter expert without living this out, you're actually deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone looking at his own face in a mirror, for he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. Isn't that great? The forgetful, and is not a forgetful hearer. In other words, we can come here, listen to a lot of great stuff, walk out the door, and do nothing different. Nothing different. In the Old Testament temple, there was one door that was where you came in and there was another door where you go out and that symbolizes for us that when you come into the presence and the teaching of God, once you receive it, you're supposed to leave differently than where you came in. When we receive it, it's calling us to do something with that which we have learned. And so we're right in the middle, uh, and Paul writes his letters in that fashion. And this part of Ephesians is where we start moving from all of the learning and knowing and receiving and hearing. It's like, we need that, right? Because doing without that is just a big religious waste of time. We need the truth to balance our doing. We need the doing to balance our truth. One of the commentators I read um, said the first half of Ephesians is all about the wealth of Jesus. Remember, he just talked about being rich and, and how we have everything we need and the wealth that is found that surpasses every other thing. And then the second half becomes about walking in that wealth. So we have the wealth that we've learned, and now we're going to figure out how to walk in that. And so what I think we're going to lean into today, well, I know we're going to lean into it because I wrote all this. All right, so... Uh, we're going to call this message uh, Walking In, because the series is called In, so we're going in to maturity and ministry, all right? That's where we're going today. So if you have uh, your Bible and you want to open to Ephesians chapter 4, you can, and it'll be on the screen if you need to follow it there. So we're going to start with these first three verses, and then we're going to talk about it for a bit. Therefore, I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. And so this is kind of a confusing start, I think, because Paul is giving us his perspective on this. So right in the middle of this transition from the wealth and the amazing glory of Jesus, we get a very strong reality check where Paul reminds you that he is in prison. So what you might not expect is that the person who is one of the most faithful walking with all of this wealth, like it gets him to a place that nobody would choose to go. 
And I think that's an important distinction because being doers of the doctrines of Christ will not always get you where you think you need to go or even deserve to go. Sometimes the cost for following Jesus will be incredibly great, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it. And just because you're in a hard place doesn't mean that you failed. It would be easy for us to look at Paul's life to say, ah, I think I'm good without that, that prison bit. But he starts by saying, this is why you should. He leads with it. I, therefore, a prisoner in the Lord. And Paul is saying, because of the wealth that I have found in Jesus, I have everything I need, so let me rot in this prison. What? Because he knows that God's using that time in his life. I'm not bothered by being a prisoner. They think I'm a prisoner of Rome. He tells us he's a prisoner in the Lord. Perspective is everything. So even in the worst possible scenario, the worst possible outcome, God is at work. God is enough. He's everything that we need. And we're not in charge of where this thing goes for us. It's not up to us. He's asking for our obedience and he's not even complaining. Just remember me. I'm a prisoner in these chains for the glory of God. He's not complaining. He's telling us it's strategic. So if you find yourself in a difficult place, that's strategic. If you're following the Lord. You can also be in a difficult place for a lot of other reasons like not following the Lord, but that's different because if you don't have the wealth of Jesus behind you, the reality is very different. So we get Paul's perspective, being in a difficult place to launch us into this. And then he tells us to walk worthy of the calling that we have received, right? And so when he tells us this, this word worthy, it literally means to balance the scales. So what he's doing is he's affirming this idea of wealth and walk and how our beliefs are supposed to be balanced by our way of life and our way of life is supposed to be balanced by our beliefs. We call this integrity. The way that we live our lives should match what we say we believe. What we say we believe should match the way that we live our lives. If, we're, if there's a gap between those two things, we're not walking into maturity and we're sure not walking into ministry. And so he's telling us that there's to be this, this balance between these two realities. And then he sneaks in this word, calling. Right? And so the rest of this passage is about clarifying your calling. So this isn't just an idea. This isn't just hypothetical. It's not, it's not just a possibility. It's not like it's optional. Paul is saying, this is your calling. He's talking to you. And he's talking to me. Each of us have this calling. And the calling is this. You are called into the maturity and ministry of Jesus Christ. It's not for everyone else. You may think that mature faith is just for those people who are further down the road or have a special skill set that you don't have and that's false. You are called into the maturity and ministry of Jesus Christ. If you consider yourself in the maturity and ministry of Jesus Christ, it may be hard for you to understand that God's calling everybody else into that as well. But this is an invitation that applies to all of us. We are called into the maturity and the ministry of Jesus. It's for the Christ followers. We are called. So, 
I want you to be open to receiving your calling if you've never considered that that's for you into the maturity and into the ministry of Jesus. So I wanna move us along here and we're gonna to start to talk about how to walk in maturity. And so still in these first three verses, he packed a lot of punch, right? And so the first thing we see about how to walk in maturity, I think we have a slide for this, James, is number one, walk in unity. We walk in unity and he clarifies unity with a few different words. He says that the way that you know you're walking in unity together is humility. And I found a definition of this where it just said, humility is a deep sense of one's littleness. It's my new favorite definition of humility. I, I'm, you're very important, created and designed by God for purpose into maturity and ministry, but you're very little. And I'm very little. And all of us are very little. And what in the world do any of us Get, how do any of us get to do any of this with the glory of God? Why would he count us worthy to walk into his maturity and his ministry? We were talking, um, Phil and I were talking about a trip that he took to Israel and I was talking about some friends from India and, and these people have these stories of there was nobody there to talk to them about Jesus, but Jesus just showed up and revealed himself to people and said, follow me. It happens. God doesn't need us. He's doing just fine, but he invites us to be with him in the work that he's doing in the world that shouldn't give us arrogance or pride or overconfidence. It should be like, wow, how does little old me get to have a role in doing anything good for God? How do I get to be the one to put shoes on 200 poor kids' feet in Nicaragua? Why me? Why does it get to be me? I don't know, but it does. Because when you walk, you get to this sense of this world that's bigger than you and God orchestrating it. So we need to, it's a call into humility. It's a call into gentleness. And gentleness isn't weakness. Gentleness is meekness, which is power under control. I have the full authority, rule, and reign of the Lord God Almighty with me, but I don't have to blow you up because I don't need anything from you. I'm good with what I am, and I'm called into gentleness and meekness, which means I can be self-controlled with my temper. I can be self-controlled with, with my actions. Walking in unity means to be patient. It means to bear one another in love. And that last part, like in love, that's why the, the call to Christian maturity is a better word than the call of the world that's calling us to tolerance. Tolerance isn't love. Tolerance doesn't require love. The gospel is calling us not to tolerate, tolerate, but to bear with one another, especially people who are different than us, with an expression of the love of God. That's how we walk in maturity. We bear with one another in love, and we keep the peace. We keep the peace. Do you know there's a difference between a peacekeeper and a, a peacemaker? A peace, there's, a, there's some words that go with this keeping the peace and it's a call to guardianship. It's a call to protecting. It's a call to advocating. 
And so this call to maturity is a call to unity, but it's not going to just happen. Peace doesn't just exist in its own right. It takes guardians. It takes people who are willing to speak into that which is disunity. It takes people who are willing to speak into that which is not love. It takes people who are willing to speak into that which is not true. That is how we keep the unity. That is how we keep the peace. It's what we're called into. And we can't be mature in our faith if we're not humble, if we're not gentle, if we're not patient, if we're not bearing with one another in love. And if we don't feel a personal responsibility to keep the peace entrusted to us by the doctrine and the teachings of Jesus. So we walk in unity is the first thing. Now let's pick up the rest of the passage. So we're going to go to verse 4. And he says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. And we're just going to stop right there. And I think the next thing that we see in this is first we see walk in unity. The second thing we see is that we need to walk in the oneness of God. And I think that this is just basically to demonstrate that we were paying attention in the first three chapters. Because everything that is brought out here are things that have already been addressed. These aren't like, you've never heard this before, let me blow your mind. It's like, let me recall us to some of the basic tenets of our faith that we should never, ever compromise. These are what we are guardians of. These are what we are keeping the peace around. And while we need to know what these are, we also need to know what threatens these things. But here's the list that he gives. He says, one body. The body of Christ is the church. Renaissance church is a church, but it's not the church. There's a big C church that means every church together is the body of Christ. And what an honor to be a part of that. If there's a gospel going out that says you don't need to be a part of the body of Christ, it's a false gospel. If there's a, a gospel that goes out and says there's not one spirit who's the third part of the Trinity, we live in a very spiritual time all of a sudden, and so there's a lot of spiritual things being passed around as if they're the same authority as the Holy Spirit of God. They're not. We need to be educated, and we need to walk into the truth of what the only true spirit is, and we need to contend for that spirit. There's only one hope, and his name is Jesus. There's only one Lord, still Jesus. There's there's one faith. It's the Christian faith. There's one baptism. There's some debate over whether this is believer's baptism or the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But overall, there's a baptism by God that happens as an immersion into this life that begins your journey of this walking in the wealth that you have. There's only one of those. And there's one God and Father who is above all and through all and in all. And when people are messing with that in our day and time and, and changing God's name to different things or saying that all gods are the same or all spiritual practices lead to the same thing, because of what we have been entrusted with, there's a walk required of us if we're going to walk into maturity. I guess I should give a disclaimer and say, you're not required to walk into maturity of faith. And these are the things that distinguish whether you are or you aren't. Are you able to recognize the false gospels that are permeating our culture? And when you do recognize them, are you able to respond to them with humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, and keeping the peace? Those are indications 
of somebody walking in the wealth of Jesus. So we have to be clear when somebody else is vague. Wait, I heard you say spirit, but what did you mean by that? I told you before, I'm concerned with the looseness with which we throw around the word gospel today because I'm finding that gospel means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. So it's like, when you say gospel, could you just tell me more about what you mean by that? You know that's not what the scriptures say, right? Like that's a man-made opinion. Are we able to take what we're learning and insert it into a world that needs the truth of Jesus? It is, in this section, it appears that the, this, it's correlating to chapter one of Ephesians. So if you read this passage, this four, one through 16, if you look back at Ephesians one, it's just reinforcing what Paul has already said. And so we already walked through that, but it's all about the supremacy of Christ in all things. Our lives have to live in the consistency of Christ being lifted high above all things. When we walk in the oneness of God, we proclaim his glory above every other thing. And we don't allow worldly distractions to lessen the brilliance of Jesus. Allowing things to distract us from the walk of maturity that we've been called to is not the invitation that God intended for us to experience. So we have this oneness of God that we're, we're invited to walk into. And then we're gonna pick it up here in, in verse seven. Now grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. For it says, when he ascended on high, he took the captives captive and he gave gifts to people. But what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower parts of the earth? The one who descended is also the one who ascended far above the heavens to fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, equipping them for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. So that's where I got the word maturity because it's right there in the heart of that. And so the third thing that I think we're supposed to walk in is your gifting. Your gifting, which is so cool. So even though we're to be unified, we're not supposed to be uniform. We're not supposed to be robots looking the same, wearing the same clothes, saying the same exact things. We get to be who God created us to be, which is diverse. Different people from different places, with different passions, with different gifts, with different worldviews, with different ways to see and experience the world around us. And so God's created all of us with a uniqueness to be celebrated together in the unified body of Christ. And so this is... Um, not an exhaustive list of the gifts that he gives here in this passage because he's making a specific point, I think. Last year, we did a very deep dive into all of the spiritual gifts. And if you're curious more about what those things are, you can find all of those teachings online. But I think that the point that he's trying to make here is Jesus. Surprised? I... I kind of miss this in these other, anytime I've read this passage before, but he's saying that the gifts that you've been given are only made possible because Jesus left heaven, came to earth, 
lived a perfect life, died a death in our place, resurrected from the dead, beat death, and ascended back into heaven. And what it seems to be saying is that that was a major victory, by the way, when Jesus conquered the devil, right? He conquered death. We sung about it just a little bit ago, and there's some applause, like, filling the room. We feel the power and the significance of life over death forever, and Jesus being the only one that could do that, and he's raised in glory forever, seated in the heavenly places. And what happened there, quoting this verse from the Psalms, is that when he ascended and achieved that final victory, somehow the spoils of that battle were gifts, and he took them from the power of the evil one, and he's redeemed them and given them back to his people. Those are no longer used to destroy the world. They're going to be used to build the kingdom in the world. Death, where is your sting? Where is your influence? It's a crazy little caveat right in the middle of that passage. When he ascended on high, he took the captives captive, and he gave gifts to the people. Okay, the gifts that we have came at a very, very high price. He's not just saying, oh, well, you, get, you get tongues, you get prophecy, you get teaching, you get... No, he gave his life so that we could have the opportunity to walk into maturity and ministry with him. And it reminds us of our littleness again, but also our significance because the gifts that we have were purchased by Jesus himself to build his kingdom here on earth. And Paul is saying that this victory that Jesus won, beating Satan, beating death, the spoils have gone to the church. And the gifts Paul alludes here too are specifically to gifts of church leadership. Those are the only ones that he talks about. And I think that there's often some misunderstanding about the gifts of church leadership. A friend of mine tells a story like this. He said, I'm, I'm grieved because I feel like Sunday mornings have become like the biggest football game that you've ever been to. Like on Sunday morning, crowds of people come to buildings and watch a few people on a stage do some things that they're pretty good at. And if you're watching a football game, that's great because the people in the stands can't do what the people on the field are doing, right? And the people on the field, they get their names known and people buy their jerseys and people follow them on Twitter and get obsessed with them and, and they, they're their favorite player. And like that's what happens in the culture that we live in where, where it's easy for us to make celebrities out of things that we enjoy and who do a really good job. But that was not the way the church was ever supposed to be. It was never to be a group of people watching some people with certain gifts do some stuff so they don't have to. It's the opposite. It should be the opposite. The people in the middle are looking out at the people and going, you guys are the deal. Our job, our gifts, are to equip you for the works of ministry. Let's go. I've been in church, I've worked for churches for 27 years. And in, it, it never, it breaks my heart, you know, when somebody feels like, well, um, 
Could you go talk to this person? Yeah. But so can you. Could you, could you go share the gospel with this person? Yeah, but I don't know that person. You do. It'd be better if you did. Let me help you and I'll pray for you. I'll stand behind you. Like that's, that's, what, that's what the church leadership gifts are for. Church leaders with millions of followers and people buying their shirts, that's a football game. That's not the church that God intended. The church is the people of God. The role of the leaders in the church is who wants to walk into maturity and ministry? Let's help you. We're here to equip you for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ. Let's go. That's the call. There's a big, I feel tension in that understanding of, well, the preacher and Chris is the pastor, so he's gonna go tell all those people about Jesus. Wrong. Chris is here to equip you so that you can go tell those people about Jesus. Praise the Lord. Who lives and works where all the lost people are? Thank you. It's better when cats here, y'all. Like it just, just is. It's the honor of the leaders of the church in humility to see you as the opportunity to pour into, invest in, train up, coach up, and send out to build the kingdom, to walk in maturity and ministry. I hope you know that you have that call on your life. Whether you accept it or not is not up to us. But I invite you to accept it. That's what Paul's talking about. It's intense. It's not for somebody else. There's not somebody better at it than you. God gave you the gifts that he gave you for a reason. He put the people around you that are around you for a reason. You have the job that you have with those people for a reason. You have the house that you have in the neighborhood that you're in for a reason. And it's to walk in the maturity and ministry of Jesus and to build up the kingdom of God by strengthening the body of Christ and walking in this reality. This, our, our little team of eight, in Nicaragua, we had, this was a crazy team because it had a definite Renaissance core, but Sam was here from the UK a few months ago. He's been in Peru and he came with us. And so, and then we had David who's been here, who you guys, I'm so proud of, like you guys just embrace all of these people from all over the world and just make them feel at home. And the way that they speak about Renaissance has so much affection behind it. It's so important. And so these are all like Renaissance people and our friend Garrett, who's worship pastor up at Katie's First Baptist Church, but um, we had Sam from the UK, David from El Salvador, so we had four different churches from three different countries working as one, and we just showed up, and we're like, hey, use us however you want to use us, so I got to preach on a Sunday morning, and four people came to be saved, and it was amazing. And Garrett's a worship leader, and Garrett and Holly got to lead worship, and Holly got to, to lead, um, um, was reading kids literature. Jacob got to teach the students. He, the biggest, he told him he's his biggest crowd ever, because there was like 80 kids that showed up, and Jacob got to preach to them, and, and then he also got to help lead worship. It's like, what do we do here? We did it there. What did Smitty do? Where's the wood shop? 
and he went and became best friends. And um, don't ask about the word Smitty knows in Spanish because they're not maybe very reliable, but he did. But Smitty just showed up and was Smitty. He did some woodwork and then he just went and loved people and prayed for people. And then Glenn, they're like, hey, we really wish that somebody could teach a session on personal finance. Glenn is the guy, right? And so Glenn did a workshop and taught people who, oh gosh, guys, who live on 300 bucks a month, how to manage their money. What an honor. What did we have to do? We just had to be available to go. And we just did what we did. And we're so blessed, forever changed, and we didn't have to learn anything special. We were just using the gifts that God has given us and we saw fruit. And then together we walked into homes and we prayed for the sick, we prayed for camp. Every home we went into, we were just delivering food and praying blessings over family. Every single one we went into, there was like a tumor or osteoporosis or cancer or, and we, we prayed. We weren't, there's another house we weren't even supposed to go to. We went to this other house and this guy saw us going into this house praying for those people and he was like, come in, Franklin. His name is Franklin. Pray for Franklin. So Franklin got prayed for, y'all. It's like he just wanted to show us his patio. It's like, no, 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 we're praying, Franklin. <laughs> Turns out he had something wrong with his eyes, right, Smitty? Come on. Sometimes I just think we overcomplicate it. We've got so much information. There's only, we don't need to always learn more. We need to do more. If all we're doing is doing, we need to learn more. There needs to be a balance, but I think that we're erring as a culture on the side of learning, absorbing, listening, hearing, and we've eliminated, our lives have eliminated all the opportunity we have for doing, and that prevents us from walking into maturity and ministry. Let's finish this. Ephesians uh, 4, 14 and 16. Then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching by human cunning with cleverness in the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head Christ. From him, the whole body fitted, knit together by every supporting ligament promotes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. And the fourth walk is walk in maturity and ministry. How do we know we're there? Like we're no longer little children tossed by the waves. We're not influenced by every new fad of teaching. Like, oh, did you hear this new whatever? It's like, I've got enough message in Ephesians 1 through 3 to last me the rest of my life. Or am I always into something? Am I tempted to always have to have this new thing? Or am I just solid on what I need to be solid on? The second thing is speak the truth in love. And it often seems to me like we're kind of one or the other. Like we love the truth or we love love. So like, but love without truth is not love at all. And truth without love is not Jesus's way of truth. Speak the truth in love. Grow every day and build up the body. And the one illustration that, that Paul gives is like ligaments, 
Like, how does Paul in prison, like he's a Pharisee. What does he know about biology and anatomy? He throws out ligaments as his one illustration. So I have an amazing diagram. You're gonna love this. Do you see the ligaments? So these big things are the ligaments. This is the patellar tendon, no, it says ligament, it's lying to me. The MCL, you know, the medial collateral ligament, um, the ACL, anterior cruciate uh, ligament. So ligaments are different than tendons because tendons attach muscle to bone. Ligaments attach bone to bone. I should ask the nurses to lead this section, but they're making faces at me. Correct me if I need to be corrected. I'm not above it. I'm little. Um, so, but it's significant, right? What would the human body be without the structure of bone? There would be no structure. There would be no form. The tendons hold the bones in place. They also hold the vital organs in place. The ligaments hold the bones in place. They hold the organs in place. And it says it's a band of fibrous tissue serving to connect bones and hold organs in place. And this is what they do. They allow the joints to move in the direction that it was meant to move. I wanna tell you, God created you in a direction that you were meant to move and it's maturity in ministry. It holds bones together. We need the other bones in our body to do anything. Make sure that the joints don't twist. That's why on the, the football field, when there's these terrible twists, it tears the ligaments, and then all of a sudden those legs don't look like they're supposed to look anymore. They stabilize muscle and bone, they strengthen joints, they hold organs in place, and they prevent bones from dislocating. That's what we're called to be. Keep the structure in place. Keep the chapter one through three strong. Don't let any compromise affect the body so that we can all go forward how we were created and designed to go. And one other thing that just stuck with me from our trip this week I got to preach in a church Sunday morning called La Fuente. And La Fuente is there because a missionary over 30 years ago responded to the call of God to go to Nicaragua. He didn't know why he was going. He thought he was going to just make disciples and reach people. He founded this church. There was between 100 and 200 people there Sunday morning. Four people got saved. I got I got to preach? Come on. La Roca, name of my sermon, right? Maragapa means let's go to the rocks. And Pastor Raul says it way better. La Roca. I stood and shared the gospel. Four people came to Christ. Why? Because one person was willing to be a doer. We went and served with hundreds of kids. Prayed healing over dozens of people. Prayed for a hundred elderly people because one missionary was willing to be a doer, a doer with his gifting to go and be a ligament, providing structure in a new place that we could come and build the body. You're, you're in this room because Chris and Casey were willing to say, Richmond, Where's that? 
Yes, Lord, we'll go. Because doing makes room for the kingdom to come and be built. And that is an opportunity that each of us have. Your obedience, your walking into maturity and ministry makes room for the kingdom to grow in all the places that God calls you and sends you to go. And the church is there to support you, help you, equip you, nourish you, and send you into that reality for yourself. So I wanna just extend this invitation into maturity and ministry. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To support our work, you can like, share, subscribe, or you can donate at rin-church.org.